Hey, what's up, guys? It's welcome to the history essay. My name is Alan. I'm the host of this amazing podcast, which is going to be the greatest one in the world. You know, I'm just an avid history enthusiast. I'm someone who constantly has history on the mind. I'm someone who's constantly talking about it. If you have the unfortunate privilege of following me on Instagram, then you've seen some of those posts that I have put up rather ineffectively trying to get to an audience, rather ineffectively trying to establish an audience. And, you know, someone told me that you should start a podcast. And so here we are, you know, I'm taking everything I essentially learned in college, everything I've been learning along the way. And I am trying to forge my own path. Right now, I'm a history, I'm a, excuse me, I'm a substitute teacher. And um, I originally was going to go into teaching, trying to teach history in high school, but then being a substitute teacher currently, I've realized that, you know, kids are kind of difficult. Um, it's not their fault. Maybe it's the parents' fault, but you know what? This isn't a podcast about where to cast the blame for the current state of teenage America. But anyways, like I said, I'm trying to make my own path. I'm trying to forge my own way for um, using everything that I have in order to pursue my own passion, you know, and hence the reason for starting the podcast. You know, I've one of my passions is educating people, educating people on stuff they don't know. They're always surprised whenever I've posted stuff on Instagram. People are always surprised to find find out certain things about history. You know, I always get comments from the five people who care to comment on my Instagram stuff saying, you know, hey, I didn't know this. This is really interesting. And it's stuff like that that kind of keeps me going, you know, educating the masses, getting out there to the masses and educating people on things about history that they may not know or that they never were taught. You know, and that's why I'm here. One of the things I'm really big on is history being cyclical. Um, I'm sure we've all heard the phrase, you know, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Uh, I am a firm believer in that idea. History isn't linear. You know, what happened in the past isn't an isolate, shouldn't be treated as an isolated thing. What happened in the past informs very much what is happening now and what could happen in the future. That's something that shouldn't be lost on us, you know? We think that there is no connection to what is happening now and what has happened in the past when, in fact, that is you know, an incorrect statement. History is cause and effect. You know, a lot of the events, as I mentioned before, a lot of the events which took place in the past, they still affect us. They still resonate with us. Sometimes it's fairly clear to us. Sometimes you have to dig a little bit. Sometimes you have to do a little reflection, analyze a little bit what it is the situation we're going through, but you find out that it is cause and effect. Without a doubt, most of our modern society is a result of this cause and effect relationship. That kind of goes without saying. You just have to think about it a little bit. It doesn't take that much, but once you think about it a little bit, it, 
like a light bulb goes off. You're kind of like, ah, okay, this sort of makes sense, you know? If we don't learn from the mistakes of the past or analyze the consequences of past events on our current state, it is my opinion that we will never progress. We will repeat it. Stuff will happen again. Uh, One of the prime examples that I brought up was before the unfortunate situation with the uh, George Floyd protests and before uh, the Black Lives Matter um, protests that are happening now took place, um, what really took center stage in our current society, you know, aside from the coronavirus, was our political situation. You know, right now we're in an, uh, we're in an election year. And... What I've been noticing is that we're going through some similar motions that have happened in world history in the past. One of those being the uh, polarization of society. Right now, it's left versus right almost everywhere in the world. It's social justice versus you know, conservative values, that sort of thing. So one of the prime examples that came to my mind is the Spanish Civil War and how it's sort of very much, how today, what's going on today very much parallels and mirrors the political climate here in the United States. You know, a little background into the Spanish Civil War. At that time, Spain was very polarized, sort of along the the lines of what we're going through now, conservatives, on the one hand versus liberals on the other, although they were named, you know, their semantics, they were named, you know, on the right, there were the nationalists and on the left, there were the Republicans. You know, this division in Spanish society had those on the upper ranks of Spanish society versus those at the bottom. You know, you had the likes of monarchists and, um, conservatives and sometimes even fascists on the right versus those who wanted to uphold the republic which were you know starting from moderate going to extreme they were the socialists they were the liberals and then going all the way to the extreme left you had the anarchists and the communists so there was a lot going on at this time and the reason why I sort of, in my social media posts, I brought this up was because when you compare it to Republicans under Trump versus the left, you know, the Democratic Party or the liberals, it's oddly similar. It's very eerily similar even. It's this battle of a united right versus a very disorganized left. Now, why would I make that comparison? Well, take this into account. When we look back at the Spanish Civil War, the left was very unorganized. You had moderates, you had extremists, you had socialists who were made up part of the moderate people, you had the um, liberals, you had the communists and the anarchists trying to live in peace and trying to fight against this united right. But ultimately what 
did them in was they were fighting a united right. The nationalists knew and were very clear in their goals in what they wanted and what they wanted to achieve. Whereas the left, you know, those who wanted to keep the republic, they started fighting amongst themselves, you know. They started fighting amongst each other because they couldn't agree on what it is they wanted to achieve. You know, some on the extreme left wanted to take the time of the Spanish Civil War to completely redo society, to completely make Spanish society over again. Some wanted to just keep the Republic as it was. They didn't want to destroy or burn all of Spain down. They wanted to keep it as it was. They didn't want everything. They wanted change, but they didn't want radical change. And so they started fighting amongst themselves. And the nationalists, you know, those on the right, they completely took advantage of that situation because they knew what they wanted. They knew what their goals were. They knew what their objectives were. And ultimately, history has shown us that it was the right. It was the united right who ended up taking power in Spain under Francisco Franco and ruling Spain until about 1976 when he died. And then if you know how the story ends, the Spanish monarchy was restored, democracy returned to Spain. It, But it's just, it reminded me so much of what's going on right now. You know, Democrats and liberals, everyone on the left, they don't seem to have their stuff together. They don't seem to have clear goals or they have too many goals. Or, you know, there are those who want moderate reform against those who want to burn the whole place down. And it's really hard for them to unite behind anybody because they question all of their qualities, they question their intentions, which they have every right to do, but they're going up against a united Republican Party, which knows exactly what it wants. I mean, it's in their slogan. They want to keep America great. They went from MAGA to CAG, <laughs> K-A-G, yeah, keep America great. You know, as polarized as society was back then, you know, when you take a good look, when you analyze our own political situation, you can't make the argument that we aren't in the same boat as to Spanish society in the 1930s when the Civil War was taking place. Like, I mean, I would welcome you to challenge that notion, but you cannot tell me that we're not in the same boat. We are completely in the same boat. You know, we have a fractured left with multiple goals in fighting extremists versus moderates, as I mentioned earlier, versus a right that knows exactly what it's going to do and puts it on its flag that is ironically made in China, even though it has the word keep America, the words keep America great in it, which, you know what, this isn't in the, this isn't a political podcast, I won't get too into it. Whoever you support is whoever you support. Um, but yeah, you know, it's we're in that same boat, you know, we're going through the motions. Will it lead to civil war? That's up for debate. I'm not very convinced that we will. I'm pretty sure yeah society is torn society is divided here in the united states i don't know what the future holds but again just based off of what has happened in the past 
hey, I mean, it could happen. It's a possibility. There might there might be stuff that happens and there might be stuff that doesn't happen. You know, it's just incredibly interesting how similar these two events are, how similar the Spanish Civil War and everything, all the context, all the circumstances behind what ultimately lit the fuse, you know, all of that. It's interesting how similar that is to what is going on now. You know, of course, like I said, there are some differences. It may not lead to civil war. You know, those, I'm not trying to be overly pessimistic, but who knows? You know, I'm not, I don't have a crystal ball in front of me, so I can't be like, yes, this is exactly what's going to happen. You know, that's not history right there. That's not the job of people who study history. We can't, we're not here to tell the future, but rather we're here to inform you of the past and how certain things ended up, you know, how we can proceed. Nowadays, we're seeing and experiencing a lot of these eerily similar situations, as I mentioned before. So one of the other things that I've sort of spoken about with friends is something that is very evident in history when you study it, and that's the decline of empires or the decline of great powers and the rise of other countries. We've seen it time and time again. It doesn't matter what continent you're on. There's always an empire that grows, expands, becomes powerful beyond its wildest dreams. You know, they come up with slogans like the sun will never set on the insert country here, empire. There's all this nationalism, all this patriotism, this belief that, you know, we are the best and everything, right? And then those countries decline and another country starts to rise. We see this time and time again. This is a good example of the cycle of history theory that I'm putting forward here. I'm sure it's been put forward by other much more scholarly people than me, but you get what I'm saying. Um, If we apply it to today's society, I can give you a really good example. The rise of China and I struggle with either saying it's a decline of the United States or the stagnation of the United States. But all I know is that we're not in the same position that we used to be before. We used to be the uncontested superpower of the world. Not saying that we aren't anymore, but there is a new challenger. Um, You know, that's what's going on now. The new challenger is the People's Republic of China. And so going back to the idea of history, you know, those who don't learn history doomed to repeat it, that sort of thing. We can go back to a rather recent example. And the rather recent example that I like to bring up is the decline of the United Kingdom or the decline of the British Empire. And as well as Europe. And the rise of the United States in the 20th century. This is a good example because before we were the undisputed superpower, before it was USA everywhere, you know, before we had our monster influence everywhere in the globe, it was the British who had that influence. You know, there used to be, well, there is a song. um, If you've ever heard it, it's called Rule Britannia. And in the lyrics the lyrics of the song are very nationalistic, very, well, somewhat patriotic. Um, 
but the the part of the lyrics of the song state britannia rules the waves you know there was a saying that england rules the waves britain rules the waves even we as the united states when we were first coming up we sort of recognized that power we recognized that influence britain was everywhere britain was everyone's major trading partner you know for all intents and purposes the british empire was the preeminent world empire there was nobody who could challenge it france tried but france failed germany tried germany failed ultimately however we are led to the 20th century and this is what i where i would argue that the the late 19th century early 20th century was perhaps the peak of the British Empire. That's when it was at its highest point. That's when, you know, those were the good, if there ever were good old days, it's the late 19th, early 20th century for Great Britain. After that, however, after, so it sort of reached its peak, like I said, 20th century. World War I was one of the high points for Britain. It came at a huge cost, but World War I was, I think that I would argue that that was literally the peak. That was as good as it was ever going to get for the United Kingdom, for the British Empire. And after that, what happened afterwards was the Roaring Twenties. And I'm sure people were very elated at British victory. The fact that the British were at the table of the victors, the table of the winners, and swinging their influence around kind of like, yeah, you know, we won that war. We won that war. You know, they could say that because the United States entered the war late. So we can't really claim claim credit for World War I. Britain can, though, and the British people do. They have various monuments for it. But anyways, um, that was really, like I said, that was really the high point. That was really the best it was ever going to get. That was the closest the British Empire was ever going to get to the sun, metaphorically speaking. Then after that, like I said, come the Roaring Twenties, the Great Depression, which hits Britain very hard. Then after that comes World War II. And all of the missteps that occurred leading up to that conflict, such as appeasement, where Britain and France didn't have the stomach to stand up to Nazi Germany, and they said, yeah, you can have this huge chunk of Czechoslovakia. Um, Britain and France didn't respond quick enough to the invasion of Poland. They declared war, but they didn't really support them. Britain and France were ultimately defeated by Nazi Germany in the um, invasion of France. Right? We all know how the war played out. World War II is perhaps one of the best covered wars in any history class, any history course. You know how it turns out, right? So fast forward to the end. Yes, Britain is victorious. Britain is one of the victorious powers. It's alongside the... um, Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, the USSR, and the United States is part of the big three. You know, it's it's part of the countries that gets to decide the future at this point. But 
That victory came at a tremendous cost. Britain suffered a lot of damage. Britain, also during this conflict, slowly but surely became very dependent on, guess who? The United States of America. And ultimately, it wasn't going to be a smooth road after the war. Um, I make the argument that, and this might sound a bit cheesy, but uh, Britain pretty much lost its groove. It didn't find its swagger again anymore that it used to have in the late 19th, early 20th century. The United States did. The United States made up for all of that. Uh, the United States made up for all of that and more and started to really substitute Britain throughout the world. Uh, we see this very clearly. The British Empire, as much as they wanted to keep it after it was there, again, Britain was broke. It was a tremendous sacrifice to win World War II, but Britain was broke. It couldn't afford to keep the expansive empire. So what happened? As the 1950s turned into the 1960s, all of Britain's colonies got sick of it, got sick of Great Britain, and started to demand independence. One by one, they started to leave the British um, sphere of influence. And at this time, you know, the U.S. started to sweep in, or swoop in, excuse me. They started to really occupy that niche of the preeminent world power. Great Britain was no longer the Queen Bee. The United States was the new Queen Bee. And after that point, the UK pretty much faded into the background and it played a it played second string during everything that came afterwards. It played second string in the Cold War. It tried to act like it played first string. It tried to act like it was still a major player in the world stage. But really, during the Cold War, there was two main players, the United States and the USSR. Great Britain was on the United States' team. Great Britain was on the side of, you know, the West. It was the side of democracy and all that. But it really was never what it once was, you know, what it was in the 19th, early 19th, late 19th, early 20th century. It wasn't that anymore. Connecting it back to what we're going through today, the question can be asked, is this what we're going through? You know, after this coronavirus situation, I would pretty, I would boldly make the argument, yes, we are going through this. Uh, China is making up for what is this perceived U.S. Uh, isolation that is happening now, or not isolation, but like withdrawing from the world. Um, again, this isn't a political podcast. I don't intend to make it one, but we're very much leaving all of this international, these international working bodies. We're trying our best to distance ourselves from them. And China, on the other hand, is stepping in and making sure that it can make up for that, um, it can make up for all that lost ground that the U.S. is giving up, that it can assume all of those roles. Although it's questionable, you know? It's questionable because China is still a totalitarian state. And whereas we call ourselves, you know, the free world, it's a little bit, you know, it raises eyebrows. Like, hmm, are we really going to let 
Or are we really going to follow a country that has a very strict authoritarian government or, you know, what's going on? So, you know, some of our allies, some of the U.S. allies, they don't view us the same way anymore. They don't have that same opinion of the United States anymore. It's they're very willing to criticize us, and they often do. A good example is the Philippines under uh, Rodrigo Duterte, the current uh, president. He has very much, even during the time of Obama, he has very much been a critic of U.S. policy. Um, we also have various examples throughout the world, you know, whether it's countries in Europe questioning U.S. policy, policy actions, policy moves, etc. A lot of countries throughout the world are now doing their own thing. You know, uh, another sub-argument to this is France, for example. France is also starting to go throughout the world and carve its own little sphere of influence. I've even seen YouTube videos that try to argue that France is the next superpower. Um, it's a valid argument. French is a widely spoken language. There are a lot of people who, you know, share or the French culture is very widespread, just as just as it is ours, although ours is, you know, U.S. American culture is much more proliferated throughout the world. Uh, but again, they're doing their own thing. Our allies are starting to do their own thing, follow their own paths. Again, you know, going back to this idea of history being cyclical, this is another instance of, you know, a new other powerful country is rising up to the bat and challenging us. You know, it's a cycle. All empires, all great powers go through this. And like I said, I would argue that we are going through this. Now, is it a decline or is it a stagnation? That I would leave up to you. I would say it's a stagnation. It's not necessarily a decline. Um, when you study history, sometimes the declines are very apparent and sometimes they aren't. For Britain, it was very apparent after World War II and the financial situations they were in, them losing their empire, and then the Commonwealth not being what they wanted it to be. Um, that For them, it was very apparent. For us, I don't know that it is very apparent. All I know, and it's my objective opinion, is that we aren't what we used to be, or we are, we are not where we used to be in terms of influence, even 10 years ago. Or 11 years ago, however long you want to say, you know, there was a point where we still had a lot of great sway, but now there's an alternative, and that's China. You know, everyone is seeing China with a new sort of perspective, and they're seeing it as an alternative to the United States. So we're very much in that cycle again. You know, we are in that position that Britain was. We're very, we're very much in that position where we where it will lead i don't know you know if there's talk of cold war 2.0 um i do believe that that is happening china is the new adversary you know the cold war ended with the collapse of the soviet union so cold war 2.0 i can't really tell who's going to collapse who's not going to collapse what if anything is even going to collapse but again you know we're going through this cycle we're going through this cycle again where there's a new country coming up ready to challenge the old order. Slowly but surely, you know, it's occurring. 
And, you know, we just have to wait and see how this all plays out. It'll be an interesting time in human history. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Aside from that, there are various examples of this cyclical relationship or a cycle happening. So, you know, I mentioned the new Cold War, you know, Cold War 2.0. I um, I don't have to go more into depth about that. That could be a topic for a new show entirely. But there's also neocolonialism, you know, corporations and countries exercising influence over entire nations. So neocolonialism is very interesting because, again, we went through a period in the past in world history where colonialism, you know, the establishing of colonies was happening left and right. Um, is that happening now? Not directly, but I would argue indirectly. There are multiple instances where whole countries are falling under the influence of corporations, for example. You know, countries that may be rich in natural resources are falling under the uh, influence of corporations which want those resources. So, for example, if your country has oil, chances are a Western oil company might come knocking at your door and start exercising influence and start exercising influence over your politics, your society, everything that makes up your country's way of doing things. This corporation, in order to keep its interests secure, might start meddling in stuff. You know, there are various examples of this. Um, in the 19, late 1940s, early 1950s, I, want to say, I could be wrong about that. Guata, uh, Guatemala had a president by the name of Jacobo Arbenz. And he just simply wanted to give power or ownership of the land back to their people. Unfortunately, Chiquita Banana, the company which pretty much sells bananas all th the company which pretty much sells bananas all throughout the United States and probably elsewhere, uh, Chiquita Banana had a huge influence over the well, not over the government of Guatemala. It had a big lobby uh, lobbyist group in Washington, which kind of said, you know what? Mr. Arbenz's policies are going to hurt our bottom line. What are you going to do about it? And the government of the United States said, hey, we got you. Don't worry. And they instituted an overthrow of Mr. Arbenz. Mr. Arbenz had to then flee into Mexico. Uh, a dictatorship took over Guatemala. And this dictatorship gave Chiquita Banana unrestricted control over the um over the Guatemalan agricultural sector. So Chiquita Banana got off good, but the people of Guatemala, on the other hand, they continued to be under the thumb of this. And this repeats multiple times throughout Latin America. It's not just in Guatemala. It's in Chile, for example, ITT, uh, an American corporation that, was, that invested in Chile. They didn't like um, President Allende, who was a... Marxist or yeah, Marxist socialist who had been elected by the Chilean people, um, they didn't like his policies. They thought that his policies were a little bit too extreme. And so they, in the backgrounds, they supported a military, military coup 
which ultimately saw Allende deposed. Um, Allende took his own life after the siege of the presidential palace. But again, you see that sort of background where the people of Chile or the people of Latin America, they really couldn't decide their own futures because it was either our government or our government with the help of corporate America sort of saying, you know what? No, you don't get to decide what it is your policies are because we are invested in your country. We have a say in stuff too. You know, that is like the essence of neocolonialism right there is that, yeah, you may have your own flag. You may have your own country. You may have your own culture, but the people with the money who are not from your country, the people, the foreigners with the money who are not from your country, they get to say what it is, is going to have, is going to go down in your country. Um, there are various examples of this as well, even in the modern day. Um, we see, for example, um, in Yemen, there is a sort of proxy war happening where Saudi Arabia and Iran, two foreign countries, um, either directly or indirectly, are, I would argue, they're sidelining the Yemeni people and saying, like, hey, we get to decide what it is you do like you can't decide for yourself we get to decide how your civil war is going to turn out right there are again there are numerous topics numerous instances in the modern day where this is happening again you know western companies have immense influence over lots of countries in the world and if these countries with these sovereign governments, and I say that in air quotes, even try to do anything remotely close to um, giving their people a sense of ownership, a sense of sovereignty, a sense of self-determination, these companies will not hesitate. You know, they will work with their lobbyist group either in Washington or in Europe, and they will you know, using covert means, pretty much let you know who's boss. You know, it again, colonialism never really went away. It just got rebranded and it's marketed to us by way of, you know, soft drinks, by way of clothing companies, by way of um, telecommunications companies, you name it. It's happening all over again. You know, in the only difference with old style colonialism, old fashioned colonialism, is that there's no physical taking of land anymore. There's no planting of the flag and saying, we claim this land in the name of Spain. We, uh, we claim this land in the name of Great Britain. Or we claim this land in the name of uh, North America or North America, the United States. There's none of that anymore because it's too expensive to do it. You know, it's too expensive. It's too expensive. It's, it's too time consuming. It's not worth all that effort when you can just flood a country with your country's products, with your country's exports, and pretty much tell them how to feel about it by way of marketing. You know, it's a very devious thing, neocolonialism. It's a very sneaky. You don't realize you're being 
controlled and manipulated until until you're very deep in the in the uh, I don't even know what to call it in until you're very deep in the hole of being colonized you know you forget that this is even going on because you're enjoying your beverage you're enjoying your smartphone you're enjoying this way of life that you know marketing sends out to you but you're you don't realize you're under the control effectively of a foreign entity sorry i went off on a little tangent there about being controlled but again like i said it's this idea of history being cyclical you know colon uh, colonialism is still happening today colonialism is alive and well it's just been rebranded and it's being sold and consumed by millions around the world um another um instance of history being cyclical um has to do with what's going on now in the united states there's a lot of unrest and there's a lot of people who are angry who are out there in the streets but what has been very interesting to me is the reaction of state and federal state and the federal government the federal government's stance on this has been rather strong um, the president did say that he wanted to send out the national guard and he did make threats to several state governors saying hey if you don't finish this i'm gonna settle this or something along the lines of that and you know he said how he wanted to send out the national guard to effectively bring law and order um, i won't go too deep i won't go too deep into all of this going on because i'd want to try and keep this podcast apolitical but that again sort of sparked my um history senses you know like your spidey senses except mine are history senses that sparked my uh, history senses because you know we oftentimes don't think of the use of the military against protesters as um something that can happen here you know we always demonize it when it happens in other countries but when it happens here it's we try to downplay it as much as possible uh, media both on the left and the right does that in my opinion but um my history sense is tingled because this all of this unrest and the government's response reminded me a lot of Tiananmen Square uh, this was a time when there were a pro-democracy um, protests happening in the People's Republic of China and uh, in a nutshell the government decided that it wasn't going to take any sort of challenge to its authority the government in Beijing was like, yeah, we're not letting this happen. We're going to shut you down and we're going to shut you down like that. And uh, ultimately they did. They sent the army out, tanks and all, against their own citizens. And they, um, well, it didn't end well. It didn't end well. And there was a lot of uh, criticism, international criticism against China for its response. Um, is that happening with us now? I mean, again, I would leave it up to you to come to that conclusion. I feel it is. I feel it is. I feel a lot of countries around the world are going to look at the uh, Black Lives Matter protests, the George Floyd protests, all the unrest, and the response that the government is doing, or that the response that the government is taking. They're going to look at that and they're going to criticize the heck out of us. They're going to be like, all right, you know, United States, land of the free and the supporters of the democracy, right? Yeah, you know, it's like that meme. I'm about to end this whole man's career. 
that's pretty much what's taking place. You know, that, that's pretty much what's taking place. It's repeating all over again. Only before where it was with China, now it's with us. Um, again, there are some differences. Just because I say history is repeating itself doesn't mean it's happening exactly the same way. But the parallels are there. You can very much compare what the idea is. You can very much compare what happened during the Tiananmen Square protest, the response, the reasons for the protest, etc., to what is happening here in the United States with the police brutality protests and all of that. Again, you can make parallels. The idea isn't that the idea of history being cyclical is not that it is happening exactly as it happened in the past, but that it is happening very similarly to what is um, to what has happened in the past. You know, there are parallels that can be drawn. Um, obviously, the instance in China isn't the only parallel you can draw. There have been instances here in the United States where you, we can look back on our own history um, and compare it to today. So the Vietnam War protests is another uh, parallel you can draw to what is going on today. You know, the Kent State Massacre, where the National Guard, I think, opened fire on college students. Again, very interesting parallel. And this happened in our own home soil. That whole time period, which I'm going to cover in another episode, because it's very, very, it's amazing just how similar what's going on now, how similar it is to, to what was happening in uh, 1968 around that time. Um, where was I going with this? <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting, a very interesting parallel to make. You know, we're essentially going through the same motions we were going through in the late 1960s. Again, you know, history being cyclical. You know, those who don't learn from it are doomed to repeat it. Did we learn from the late 1960s? That would be up to you. To That would be up to you as well as me to come up with that conclusion, to argue for or against. So essentially, we just have to remember that Stuff that has happened in the past informs a lot informs us a lot about what is happening in the f- current state, what is happening or why stuff is happening. You know, there's a meme that I came across earlier in the earlier last year that stated, I think it was from the onion. I don't know where I it may have been from the onion, the people who make fun of the news with like fake news stories. Anyways. The meme stated something along the lines that nation's historians warn that history history is expanding at an alarming rate. You know, sort of like they're giving it, I know I'm a nerd for laughing at that, but the reason I found it funny is that they're comparing it or they're sort of making it very similar to like climate change, you know, but history is expanding at an alarming rate. And, you know, this idea that those who don't learn from history doomed to repeat it has been one after i saw that meme it just weighed heavily on my mind it replayed time and time again you know i was one of those people who didn't think that that was a real thing i thought it was just a saying but the 2016 election was happening when i um when i started to really think about that and then i saw that meme and i was like oh wow like it's really going there But anyways, um, the 2016 election also kind of sparked this idea of those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it because uh, I was taking a very briefly, I was taking a U.S. history class and the professor at the, uh, 
the professor of the class at the time sort of planted the idea that um, the, by the way, just to give some context, the class was about the United States in the 1920s. And she sort of argued that what is going, what has ha- what happened in the 1920s and what was going on at, at the time of the 2016 elections were very similar. She even argued that some of her colleagues stated that, you know, you can very much compare 1920s, 1930s um, America in the United States as well as the Weimar Republic in Germany with 2016 America, you know, because during those times, in the 1920s, populism, fascism, racism, that sort of stuff was, you know, very, it was just disseminating a lot during that time. But when you compare it to the 2016 society, the 2016 era, um, you could very much argue that that's what was happening as well, too. You know, populism was afoot. Populism was very much dictating or was really what Donald Trump was rolling with. You know, society was very polarized, et cetera, et cetera, stuff I've brought up before. But, um, yeah, you know, it was a very interesting parallel, and that really got the ball rolling on for me with the idea that, you know, history is cyclical. Now, I'm not saying that the answer to everything that's going on is for us to pop open a history book because history is cyclical is not for us to pop open a history book and be like, Oh, okay. So this happened during the Vietnam war protests and this is how they finished it. This is how we should finish it. Not at all. What I'm saying is that there are events and moments which we can reference and which can provide some context to what we're going through now. You know, it doesn't hurt to look back. It doesn't hurt to look back and see how past events played out. You know, it gives our current situation more, uh, it gives us a better understanding of our current situation. And it may potentially inform us as to how we can progress, inform us as to what mistakes we shouldn't make. That way, we won't have to repeat it. Because the one thing I want to stress with this podcast and my mission will be is that we don't have to repeat history. We can look back at it, we can reference it, and we can use it to inform us how we should proceed. Well, that was a very, that was very, that was a really good conversation for me to have. Trust me, I've been having it on my mind a lot lately. And Before I started this podcast, I didn't have anybody or anything to really vent this to, but I'm glad that now starting this podcast, hopefully I'll have an audience that will listen to me vent. So, you know, thanks for listening. Go ahead and subscribe if you like this episode. There's a lot, you know, this is episode, this is the first episode. I'm calling it episode 00, but this is the first episode. This is my trial run. I'm going to try and make more of this. I want this to turn into something sincere, but without (laughs) rambling any further, uh, I'm going to try and establish an IG page, an Instagram page in order to engage more with the audience. Um, My goal is to take in requests of certain topics that people want to learn about. That's definitely going to be one of my missions. That way I can 
devote myself to researching that topic and providing you with more insight on it. You know, that again, this is my passion. So I wouldn't even, I wouldn't mind doing that. So look forward to that Instagram page coming out. That's definitely in the works. I promise. Uh, let me know how I did. And if you like this episode and like, yeah, like I said, subscribe to it for the next episode. As I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be talking about the 1968 election here in the United States. And now that whole mess, that whole debacle, everything that was going on that year and how it's sort of relevant to today. Um, it's a very interesting period in U.S. history. Um, and it, it will be more than helpful or insightful, however you want to see it, for you to learn about it. Uh, because it's very, very relevant to today. It's uncanny how relevant it is. But I will save that for next time. So definitely don't miss out. Stay safe and everything. I know there's difficult times that we're going through. But stay safe and take care. And see you next time.